listening to the, what is this, Wednesday Bible study on Law and Gospel on the September the 4th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 14. The reason we're taking a look at this particular text, it just so happens to be the gospel reading for this coming Sunday. So if I were preaching, I think I would be doing this one, but it's got some very interesting tidbits to it that unless you understand Scripture, interpret Scripture, you will really end up in a bad situation. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Let's start with that. Now, at the top of that, it says the cost of discipleship. That's not part of the Bible. It's an editorial note. They're going to be saying to you that what follows now is the cost of discipleship. And it begins with verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him. That would be Jesus. And he turned and said to them, okay, here it comes, verse 26 of Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Imagine that that's what a church wants to put over their front door. Not John 3.16, for God so loved the world, or another like Ephesians, we're saved not by works, but by grace through faith. But instead you put this over the door. If you want to join this church, you must hate your own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even your own life, or you cannot be my disciple. What does that mean, that we're supposed to hate our father and mother? Now, normally, and this is the problem in translation, you have a Greek or a Hebrew word, and it's really hard to find a proper English word that covers all the nuances of what that Greek or Hebrew word says. And so that's why you need to use, in English translations, Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, I I can think of a word better than hate, but we'll get to that in a moment. Because when we say hate someone, it means we despise them. Well, I don't ever remember hating my father and mother. Now, there's no doubt I didn't like sometimes the punishments that they gave me for things, of course, that I didn't do wrong. But at any rate, who really hates his father and mother and then his wife and children and brothers and sisters? What is there in the text that helps us to understand what Jesus is really referring to? Well, the last part is important. The last part of verse 26. Yes, and even his own life. Well, the only people I know that hate their own life are those that commit suicide. And I've never had that 
particular notion in my mind, and I know a lot of people that don't. And, and that almost talks about that uh, to hate your father and mother, you're willing to murder them. But obviously Jesus cannot mean that. So what does he mean? Well, look at verse 27, the very next one. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, a lot of times when Jesus says something, and much of what he said was really confusing to the disciples. In fact, more than once, when they're with him privately, they ask him, what did you mean by what you said? And occasionally he'll tell them. Like one that comes to mind is the farmer who goes out to sow seed. Some falls on rocky ground, other kinds of ground. Uh, some gets entangled in bushes, etc. And then some is a good harvest. And he explains that, that... Uh, the rocky ground is such where the birds may come and eat up the seed or the thorns would uh, strangle it. And then he explains, see, that's where people, well, they may have what appears to be faith, but as soon as something terrible happens, they lose their faith. They get entangled in the things of the world. And, and therefore, the joy that they thought they had, they really don't have. Because it's really based on how much is God going to give me? How much do I get by having this God? No. When Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? That means that a cross is some kind of situation in your life that may cause suffering, or if you really have a problem, what are you going to do about it? I had an interesting conversation uh, yesterday. Um, no, I guess it was Monday. That's right. And it was all about how do we get warring sides to come together? And I said, you first of all have to understand what are the warring sides? For instance, the Jews and the Arabs in the Near East are at war all the time. Why? The answer is pretty clear from the Bible. They both are motivated by self-interest. This is my land. No, you stole it from us. It's our land, etc., etc. I'm going to talk a lot more about this tomorrow because I think it's a situation that a lot of young people have that they think that the church is imposing their religious values in the secular world, in the world of politics. And we're going to try and point that out that that's not really true, at least in proper churches. But getting back to this, self-interest is really how the devil gets us to do sin. We know this is what we should do but because of self-interest, no, we're not going to do it. I mean, how many people rob a bank and then stand outside with their hands up in the air waiting for the police to arrive? Nobody does. <laughs> no, in, instead, they do their crime and then they can try to get away. And if they're unsuccessful in getting away, sometimes 
they put themselves to death. What Jesus is saying is whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So how does this lead us to saying that we are to hate our mother and father, our wife and children, etc.? Well, the word that I would use instead of hate, because in the Hebrew it's an idiom. For example, remember God talks about loving Jacob and hating Esau. Did he really hate Esau? No. What he is saying is that he is making a decision as to his preference through whom the Messiah is going to come. Now, uh, we, we say this all the time where we don't mean the word hate. For example, we're going to um, a restaurant and it's time for dessert. And the uh, waitress comes and says, we have two kinds of ice cream. We have butter pecan or we have chocolate. And people say, oh, I hate chocolate. Give me butter pecan or vice versa. And so you look at them and you say, you hate chocolate? They don't really mean the word hate in that they despise chocolate. In fact, if it was the only ice cream, they probably would have taken it. What does the word hate there mean? Preference. I prefer this rather than that. What Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you should never have a preference of your father and mother over me or your wife and children over me or your brothers and sisters over me or even your own life. Now, what does that mean? Well, for example, and pastors will tell you this all the time, that uh, let's say there's a person who is Jewish and he wants to mem marry one of my members who is Lutheran. And I say that in this church, when you say that you want to get married, you're making a promise that you're going to follow the ordinance of Christ in marriage. For example, baptizing children, etc. And the person who's Jewish looks at me and says, boy, I'm not sure I can do that. I mean, I believe in Jesus now. You've convinced me of that. But my mother and father will go crazy if I marry this woman and have to say those things. And, and therefore, they don't get married. There's an example where he should hate his own father and mother in the sense of preferring Jesus to father and mother. And how many times do you run into those situations? I, I like seeing crime movies and it's really interesting how many occasions when one person in the family gets arrested, so also does the other one. Why? Well, because maybe they're hiding from the police and the other member of the family won't tell you where they are. Or I saw a recent movie where one brother convinced the other to help him rob a bank. Well, he agreed to love his brother more than loving Jesus. In fact, it wasn't really love. It was because, well, you're my brother. I'm going to follow that. 
So he should have hated his brother when he was asked to rob a bank, and he refused to do so. This fits real well, therefore, this understanding, and you hate even your own life. What does that mean? It's the message of Christianity. John the baptizer came preparing the way for Jesus. How did he do that? Repent, for the kingdom of God is really near you. And John the baptizer was preparing the people to understand that they needed what the Messiah was bringing, namely the forgiveness of sins. And he was bringing that because of his death on the cross. The death on the cross is the most important event that has occurred in Christianity because that's when Jesus paid for your sins. Therefore, understanding that you hate your own life, that comes about by repentance. Here, here's a confession that we Lutherans often say in church. I, a poor, miserable sinner, and I deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. That's the attitude of hating your own life. You would prefer to do what Jesus wants you to do, but guess what? You prefer your own self-interest. And just like Adam and Eve, boy, you're telling me that if we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God forbade us to eat, we're going to become like God? See how self-interest ruled Adam and Eve. I cannot think of a sin I did that was not out of self-interest. Therefore, I love myself more than I love Jesus. And when I'm tempted to do something and I don't do it, that means I hate my old Adam. That, that's what's being talked about here. I hate my own life. And I would prefer to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus explains that a little bit. Verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I actually experienced that when I went to Russia some years ago and taught at the seminary we have in Novosibirsk. And Novosibirsk is a city, huge city, and it refers to New Siberia, Nova. Sibirsk. And we really had a wonderful seminary. It was uh, great buildings. And I was kind of worried when I went there, am I going to like the food? But we had a tremendous cook. And for many things, she would give me sour cream that I would mix with the borscht or whatever she was giving. It, it was really delicious. But if you looked outside the seminary building, within about a half mile radius there was building after building that was unfinished. The walls may be up. Some didn't even have a roof on them. And they looked like really nice buildings. And so I asked the individuals there, what happened here? Well, these folks began to build it, 
And then, see, in, in Russia at that time, and maybe even today, who knows, you have to kind of pay bribes to officials to okay the building, to say, yeah, that's fine, you've met the requirements of the law. And they ran out of money in paying the bribes. And so the government wouldn't let them continue to finish the buildings. So here are all these buildings, and they're undone. Just what Jesus was saying, that you build a tower, and you don't count the cost. And you may have the foundation in, which I saw, but people begin to mock you, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Then he does another one. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, that is, he says, I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to do this. While the other is yet a great way off, he spends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. See, that that's something that we need to be doing as individual Christians. Now, we may not be personally going to war with 10,000 men against 20,000 men, but we may be in a grocery store, and this has happened to me a number of times, uh, like at Costco or something. I read the Costco ad, and it says this shaver is on sale. And so I am not able to get there for a few days, and when I finally go there, it's at its regular price. And I begin to discuss with one of the clerks. I said, look it, I even show in the paper the sale price. And then they point down into the small script that shows the sale ran out yesterday. Now, I've got a choice. I can keep arguing with them and say, no, I didn't know it was yesterday. It's not my fault. <laughs> or I can just let it go. And say, yeah, I, I'm the one who made the mistake. I didn't read it carefully. Why is Jesus giving these two examples about a building and going to war? Well, verse 33 explains. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow, how did Jesus get that from what he had just said? Well, the builder wasn't aware that he didn't have sufficient funds to do. So he should have renounced going ahead, building a building, thinking it's still going to be built. And the person going to war, he renounces his idea that his 10,000 are going to feed 20,000. Now, there's no doubt in the Bible there are occasions when Israel's army is a lot smaller and the other side is defeated. But Jesus is just giving a normal example where God hasn't made a promise and saying, boy, I, I was just watching a uh, YouTube yesterday on bullets. I tell you, they have come so far with bullets they can put a machine, I'm not kidding, in the air, a, a, a machine in, the, in a plane, 
and go over an area and shoot one million bullets in one minute. Then they've got this new bullet. (laughs) This is something. Your gun has a camera, and you point it, say, at a person. Uh, It's an enemy. You're at war. And the person starts running. You shoot the bullet, and the bullet is targeted on the individual. And even if the person goes around a building, the bullet follows him. (laughs) Wow. That's going to be a bullet above all bullets. Where as long as you affix on the enemy soldier, he cannot get away. And they showed an example of that. So you got to be knowledgeable about what you have and what you don't have. When you're a Christian, you're willing to give up anything you desire in place of Christ. And that means you even hate your own life. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. In fact, the Bible speaks about repentance as a way of putting yourself to death. You kill your old Adam. That's the death. And and that particularly occurs in baptism when you receive not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to definitely consider Jesus more important than anything. When a person first becomes a Christian, that battle may be kept being won by the old Adam. But the more you go to church, the more you read the Bible, the more you attend Bible study, the more you recognize that Jesus is number one. So when we talk about hating mother and father, we're not talking about an attitude that you have towards your parents where you hate them. You're talking about a situation that if the parent is moving you towards sin, then you hate what they're saying and you follow instead what Jesus says. I can't think of one time in my whole life when I was living at home with mom and dad that that ever happened. I never had to hate them. Now, I disliked when they punished me, because who doesn't? But I, I see now there are good intentions behind it, and that's why Jesus disciplines even believers, because he's trying to bring them into an understanding. So there's a great verse, Luke 14, verse 26. Show it to somebody and say, this is what Jesus says, if you don't hate your own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, you can't be his disciple. They're not going to be able to figure it out. Because it takes not only Scripture interpreting Scripture, but it also takes an understanding of law and gospel. And from a law and gospel point of view, Jesus isn't talking about a attitude that you had towards your parents where you hate them. He's talking about those occasions when it's more important to follow Jesus. If you become a believer, even if you're Jewish, 
and you desire to marry someone and you're refusing to marry them because it's going to upset your parents and therefore you're not going to give a witness to Christ, that's a sin. Instead, you should be bold about telling your parents that Jesus now is the way, the truth, and the life and maybe even explaining to them how you came to have that kind of faith given to you by the Holy Spirit and marry the woman that you want to marry. So there's a lot in the Bible that seems to be really confusing and contradictory because the Bible says the two great commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Well, how can you love your neighbor who are your parents if you're to hate them? Well, if you use the word prefer instead of hate, and that's part of the nuance of the Hebrew and the Greek, then it becomes a lot more easy to understand. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, Rumination Thursday, we're going to be talking about what some young people think is wrong with the church, that the church is influencing the political realm because they're taking church doctrine and putting them into politics. We'll discuss that and see where that is correct and where it is not. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.